man that's been in the consulting game for longer than I've been alive. I am so grateful to have you here today. We've built an amazing friendship after we first got connected through you were actually a client of Impact Schools. But I want to talk about the actual topic of your TEDx, right? Because you're all about finding amazing talent. So how about this? Let's have a two to three minute cliff note on the TEDx. And then after that, I want to hear how you landed that. That's awesome. So welcome to Impact School podcast today. I'm grateful to have you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, and I've, I've really you know enjoyed getting to know you and your team. And it's been amazing. And uh, besides all the awesome work we did together, you know, just getting to know you as a friend, uh, it's been it's been awesome. So I'm learning. Yes, no, it's it's been great. And I was so happy that we got to meet actually in DC because that was my first time ever there. And uh, how wild was it that I was speaking at an event that was literally in the town where you live? Like that is, <laughs> that was just meant you to be. told me that, it was like two minutes away from my home. I was like, wow. That's mad. So yeah. no, and it was so great to, you know, so Zoom and all this is great, but I think going to then TEDx, right? I will say, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good way to think about it. It's, I've always thought about, you know, relationships and people is, is really at the end of the day is what matters most, right? Everything else I always like to say is just noise. So my starting, you know, as an entrepreneur, almost 18, 19 years ago, the basis of it formed my TEDx and, 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 uh, it was because I felt unhappy at work and the primary basis was not because I wasn't getting paid well, et cetera. It was actually, I thought one, I was getting paid too much for what we were delivering. I did not believe we were delivering the impact and I felt bad about billing our clients what we did. So that was one thing. So that's how seriously I take the, you know, value and impact we deliver to our clients that I decided to quit my job because I thought we were paid too much. <laughs> and, and number two was I felt that, you know, just both through my own experiences, but also listening to friends that companies really didn't know how to value people and, mm -hmm. and, and, and they just treated them like objects, numbers. So that's what led to the genesis behind me starting a company and the TEDx. And so really the, the topic of the TEDx, which we, you know, I tell as, a, as, as part of running my company and where we were highlighted in Harvard Business Review, we had professors come down and talk to us and write a case study, et cetera, is, um, you know, I, I talk about three Ps, um, the three Ps and the title of the TEDx is the why of people. And the why of people, I thought a lot about it when I was preparing for it. It was, it was really, you know, if you understand why people work and what mm -hmm. motivates people, right? What motivates you every day, Lauren, to, you know, kick butt and kind of work so hard? What motivates me, you know, when I could retire, but I still work, get up every morning at 5 a.m. and I work my butt off. But what, if we understand those motivations, right? As just like we do in our personal relationships, right? Don't forget mm -hmm. about just being really complicated about this, right? If we just understand people at their core, and the why of people, then we can start to engage them in a more meaningful way, right? And, and build those authentic relationships that get cut through the crap. And people then say, okay, you know what? Raj really cares about Lauren. And, you know, he's not just about, hey, he wants to figure out how to get most value from her. It's, it's more about, hey, I care. And so the why of people is three things. One is purpose. So three Ps, <laughs> okay? 
it starts with purpose. And so the three P's are per purpose, personal growth, and people actually. And mm -hmm. So the three P's. And so the purpose is a really quick summary is purpose means that, you know, people are motivated intrinsically. Yes, there are extrinsic motivations, right? How much you get paid and all of that. But intrinsic motivations is what really drives us every day to get up, right? To be excited about our jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And if we can help people see how their work has meaning beyond the mission of your company, right? That's something I actually realized and I talk about in the TEDx. It's like, I realized that even though I valued our mission as a company and that's how, how what's always motivated me, people, if you don't link it to their jobs and their day-to-day, -day, if they're running there, you know, sitting there running numbers all day or something, they're like, okay, great. You have a great big mission. How does it matter to me every day? So you have to, you know, I made that connection of purpose and make it so that's number one like so if you're working with people make sure you know they see meaning in their job and how they're what they do on a day-to-day -day basis contributes number two is personal growth so really you know investing in and thinking about people's personal growth like it's your own growth right that's how i seriously when i started you know my company sensio uh, which i exited a year ago a year and a half ago um i thought about you know, if I hire somebody, they are trusting me with their career, with their livelihood. They're supporting their family. And, and that trust to me means a lot, right? It's, it's, it's something I take very seriously, right? And it's not about, hey, what are you going to do for me? That's what typically companies ask, right? Hey, here's your responsibilities, accountability chart, all of those things. That's great. We should absolutely have that, right? So I'm not saying we shouldn't have that. But we also need to have the other side of what's your responsibility as a manager. You don't have to be a CEO, an entrepreneur. What's your responsibility as a manager, right? Mm -hmm. What's your responsibility on personal growth? So if you can show people that, you know, their personal growth matters and you're working, you're building processes, et cetera. And I can talk about that more detail in another podcast if you want, get into yes. all the details of, of, of how you do that. But personal growth is it really taking it seriously as a company, as a manager, and then putting in, you know, on a regular basis, uh, ways to help people grow, challenge them, right? So they feel like every day they come to work, they're growing. And then the third is, uh, and you're growing, by the way, as a company too. So there's a direct payoff for the company, right? If your people are growing, that means they're contributing more, right? You're being more productive. So there's a definite ROI if somebody wants to do that or think about it that way. And then third is people. And what people stands for is really, you know, every day we go to work, well, now it's Zoom, <laughs> but we spend more time with our colleagues in some capacity, whether it's on video or in person, right? Than we do with our own families, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so if you surround people with like-minded people, the values alignment, right? And if you work with people that, you know, then people can say, you know what? I'm working with a bunch of friends. I'm, I've, this feels like family to me. It makes it so much easier. I can't tell you how many times people came to me and we had a retention problem. Our retention problem was nobody ever wanted to leave. And, <laughs> and, and we couldn't promote everybody, right? Like our problem, that, we had that problem seriously. And, and, and so we're like, okay. And, but everybody said, we just love it here. It's so amazing, all the people here. And so anyways, I probably went on longer than three minutes, but I just wanted to give you that background. <laughs> No, that's really cool because I had the opposite retention problem a few years ago where I just couldn't stick people around. And it's because 
I wasn't doing any of that, right? I would just hire someone and it would tend to be someone from my network who I'd known from a friend of a friend or I'd found in a Facebook group or they follow me on social media or something. And then they would come in and then their responsibilities would just grow and grow and grow and grow yeah. and grow. And then eventually they would just be doing a little bit of everything, which was just a total disaster. And so having learned the mistakes from, from my former self and bringing Noor into the team, who's taken over this area of, of, of the business. And now we're actually, we just hired a recruitment agency to hire an HR manager. This has been amazing because as soon as I codified my values, and as soon as I really got clear on actually my vision, rather than trying to do everything, that was when I found that I could attract top talent who wanted to stay. And yeah. Raj, I wanted to ask you because yes, part two. Way, I, I could just say, Lauren, we we also had I, we went through ebbs and flows on that. So I don't want right. to act like we never had any problems on the people side. We did. We went through a growth phase where we also had people just working ridiculous hours, all of that, and people leaving. So we went mm -hmm. through those things too, but we always tried to kind of maintain some constant. Yeah. And so on that note, yes, I want to do part two and I'm going to hold you accountable to that. So everyone make sure that you are subscribed to Impact School podcast. It's available on whatever is your favorite podcast provider. I'll probably put, put this up on YouTube and LinkedIn and everywhere as well uh, to get some more reach for this because Raj, I wanted to ask you something tangible, okay? Because I'm actually pretty interested myself. So when you say that you ensure that you attach people's intrinsic motivations to the mission of the company, right? How actually tangibly do you go ahead and do that? Because like, as an example, there's someone on my team who loves social media. He's obsessed with social media. He's great at social media. And so I understand for him how he could be getting meaning out of his work. But what about the people that are sat there set, setting their own sales calls, right? How are you doing that on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, I mean, uh, great question. So I'll, I'll relate it to an example. Um, you know, so we had a lot of analysts, for instance, even now, you know, I'm in a data business and I've been always a data geek, I like to say, and, and, and data is where all the value is right now. Um, but, but, um, you know, we had a lot of analysts and really coming from amazing places, you know, the top schools in the world, everything, but, you know, they'd be sitting there analyzing these mind numbing spreadsheets, right? And, and and when you're doing that, I think I think and we had a broader mission. It was called management for the social good. Mm. And so our goal was to bring world class management practices, right, to nonprofit and public sector type organizations and foundations and universities, et cetera. And so because we believe that, you know, the 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 missions of those organizations are you know, they're trying to solve world hunger and, you know, uh, fix infrastructure and clean energy and all of that. Right. Like, uh, so big missions. Yes. And so we were bringing those practices that would allow them to achieve that. But if you're sitting there as an analyst every day, and maybe you like that, right. You're motivated by that, but, but sometimes you're not the way we tried to link it is, is really show that every project, like one of the things we saw was that when somebody was working on a project engagement or a client engagement, they didn't know, right? They would get lost in whatever they were doing, but the client engagement wasn't linked to one, our mission clearly, right? So somebody said, why did we take this piece of work on, right? Mm. Because it supports this broader mission, right? So we had to be clear about that because sometimes people were like, why are we doing this work? And then two, on a day-to-day -day basis, what this person's doing, 
how does it contribute to that client engagement, which contributes to the bigger mission, right? right? And so that's how we, I don't know if that answers your question. That's how we tried to kind of step and, 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 and show that, okay, you know, your kind of the work you're doing is contributing specifically. So it becomes a little tactical, but, but, but also that it's very critical and important to the work we're doing here and how it contributes to the client. So that's how we tried to, because I always used to talk to people about the bigger mission and all of that. And then I had one person, you know, take me, you know, I took her to lunch, she was leaving and I won't say her name, but she was one of my favorite people. And, you know, I was really bummed when she said she's leaving and, you know, and she said to me, and I, I said, I, I used this example in the TEDx. She said to me, Raj, I love your passion. I love how committed you are. But honestly, I don't get it. I don't understand what the mission is about. And I don't understand how it matters to me. And that hit me really hard because I care so much. And that's what I'm motivated by. And I was like a punch in the gut. <laughs> and, and, but I, I love that she said that to me because it made me kind of step back and think about, okay, what are we doing wrong? But, well, but that's where we then started doing what we did. That's powerful because I also never understand this concept whereby it's all about CEOs repeating yourself, repeat your vision again, repeat the mission again and again and again. And because we've been thinking about this for as long as we can remember, right? And we've been pouring hours and hours and hours per day into our mission and into our vision. And so it only clicked to me recently because I started doing a weekly team call with my entire team. And in the beginning, I always remind them, okay, this is our vision. This is where we're going. These are the lives we're impacting. And in every single one of those calls, I take each of our three core values. And then I build a story, a, a story that happened that week from one of our team and tie it to the values. Right. And then I also tie that to the vision. And when I started doing that, it was crazy to see everyone get so much more excited about where we're actually going because they could tangibly see on a, on a day-to-day -day basis, a week to week basis, sorry, like how exactly does it work? And I think what you're saying is important because even for me, this is honestly only something that clicked in the last few months because I just thought it was re redundant and repetitive. Yeah. And so, yeah. Like on that note, I remember one of the things that we had discussed, because I think this is quite interesting because maybe it's like the opposite problem that a lot of people have, right? Because you in your company, you were doing huge multi, multi, multi million dollar deals where you write a whole proposal and then you even spend months closing these deals. And it's quite different to the whole closing that we know in this sort of consulting space, right? And I remember your team was so used to selling ultra high ticket deals that then when it came to selling like a 90K subscription, which is still very, very high price point, they were struggling. And so could you kind of uh, maybe shed a light on this ultra high ticket industry that many people might not know about, which for you just kind of comes naturally because I think it's pretty interesting. Like what exactly are you selling when it comes to these multi-million dollar deals? And how does that sales process work? <laughs> yeah, no, great question. I, I, I actually do, um, you know, one of our clients is Amazon and I just ran a number of sessions with a lot of, um, as part of their accelerators, a number of sessions around business development and sales. Um, so that's the content they, and so I talk about sales funnels all the time, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> and so I, th I think, I think it depends on your business first of all, right? Like, so our business, uh, this was consulting. And even now what we're doing at public spend farm, but, but in consulting, you know, there's, I think whenever we look at 
your business, you have to look at the pipeline and how do you, you know, from a sales process standpoint, what's that life cycle look like? And you, you talk a lot about this, right? Everything from, you know, how do you do lead generation, right? All the way to uh, closing a deal. And so whenever we look at a health of a pipeline, even in a consulting, so ours was a management consulting business, right? We're advising large public sector agencies as well as nonprofits, foundations, et cetera. Um, so as part of that, um, it's naturally the work is multi-million dollar deals. Sometimes they're multi-year, right? But so, so we were always looking at, you know, how do you basically close those deals and, and create multi-year revenue, right? I don't, that's, that's the ultimate goal. But to get there from a client standpoint, you know, if we made that the first thing as, as an entry point for our client, that wouldn't be a great starting point. So like any client relationship, you have to kind of build that trust and build credibility, right? No matter what your brand might be. And, and we were a smaller company then. Um, so, so we always looked at the health of the uh, uh, pipeline to say, you know, how many types of, there's, there should be a, a third, a third, a third types of deals in your pipeline at any point, right? There's kind of client entry and smaller deals that are basically almost like planting seeds. Okay, you're planting seeds that may grow into something much bigger at some point, right? So you always want to have those and you're learning from those new clients, you're getting new use cases. So there's a lot of learning that happens, but those are your kind of, you know, one third we say like we're, we're you know, new relationships, new clients. Then uh, some portion of that in dollar value, some might end up being third or more, move, uh, move down the funnel or up the funnel, however you want to think about it. It's they become... You know, those are the clients, I can tell you multiple examples of this where, you know, we got in, we made a decision to go after one client where we knew other companies and we were going against the biggest names. And if I said them, right, everybody would know who they are. But, but we decided to underbid something by several hundred thousand dollars. So we knew, we estimated they were going to bid around 750 to $100 million for, for one client engagement. We bid it at $200,000. And even though we felt we had the best proposal and the best approach, everything, we still bid it very low. And the, and, and the, and the calculation on our side was we, we were making a strategic investment in the client because we knew as soon as we got in, we could expand it. And that ended up being a, I don't know, the total value of about $15 million at least, that mm -hmm. client. And, and so growing that and making those strategic decisions. And then, you know, then, then the third part of it is how do you convert those into multi-year relationships? So you mm. work closely, we work closely with a client to say, okay, you know what? We're doing these four different things for you. What if we work together to set up more of a master agreement, right? In some cases, it's more open and public they're putting out. But a lot of times my philosophy has always been that you want to be early with a client, you should be working with them to structure the deals way ahead before they ever become, even in a public sector setting, even before they ever become public. So if, let's say they have to compete it, you should have had a hand in figuring out how that happens. So. That's super interesting. So a lot of your sales process is actually a retention focused sales process rather than being a top of the funnel conversion, right? Because I think so often, especially in the online marketing space, this is how I got my start. And it's very interesting hearing the 
I guess, coming from the background that you're from, how it's so much focused on the retention of the client, right? Because we always hear, okay, get more leads, enroll more clients, like bring them into this initial program as it were. And then, then what, right? Many people don't even think about after that initial, let's just say like six month period, what's going to happen after that. So when it comes to strategy for this case, so let's say someone decides they want to start focusing on retaining their clients. Are there any specific things that you're doing like within that initial six month period to gear their mind to be ready to actually retain with you over the the long term? Yeah, and again, I think it's gonna be specific to your business, right? So for instance, like I'll just use an example because we did this. Um, it's it's a little bit different than kind of our large consulting deals, but we all you also used to run a training program. And 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 so like any training program, I think again, if you're if you're really committed to impact, right, there's there's the training that you do or coaching that you do where, you know, you maybe hold some workshops, et cetera. And we do those and we charge a lot of money for that. But we also know that the retention and the impact from those workshops sometimes dies really quickly. It, it depends on the implementation, right? And, mm-hmm. and so we were truly committed to that because we, you know, we didn't care if the client didn't care and ask us, but we were. So we always, first of all, I think it was always not, the goal wasn't client retention. How do we produce most value? Our guiding light was always, how do we make sure that we have impact? Okay. Yeah. And that's, that was always the mindset. Okay, how do we have impact for the client, right? So that's the starting point. And so you take that training session. What we did is we added, you know, certain components to it to retain the client beyond that, where you can provide them coaching over time, or they can call you or you send them, say, you know, uh, templates and other things that we're going back to them. So that's like a retention example of, you know, something like training and that we did. uh, And we're actually implementing some of that here now at Public Spend Forum. Um, but, but for like consulting clients, again, we'd work with them to say, so if you're with a client, for instance, you have to think about, you know, not only the work you're doing right now, but okay, what's the client's like start engaging in that discussion of what are your broader goals? What are you trying to achieve? And how do decisions get made? If it is a larger organization, if it's an individual or a person, right, even there, you can still have that conversation, right? But what are, what is and then you can say, okay, what can I do? So a lot of times our clients, we'd help them build a business case to get that bigger money, right? We would actually play a hand because they didn't know. We're like, okay, it's going to benefit us, but it's going to benefit them because if we do higher impact work for them, bigger work, right? So we'd help them build a business case. We'd understand who are the decision makers in that organization, right? And we were always also motivated by saying, hey, how do we make this person look really good? Not us. Yes, it was about them and how do we make them look really good so that is so funny so I literally had a conversation we have a sales coach on our team who coaches our sales team and she told me hey like this guy is saying that he knows you um, because it was someone that I had a very loose connection with okay so that was the objection he made it out way clearer like he knew like he knew me more than he actually did okay and so um his his objection on top of that was that uh he doesn't know if his manager is gonna like the deal right is his manager gonna be okay with it and so I went back to her and I was like okay so what do you propose we do what do you propose we say and she said to me well like you're his friend like you know do you have any suggestions based upon knowing him and I was like I don't know him like this guy that's a total smokescreen I don't know this dude like he must have followed me for years 
really don't know the guy. Okay. <laughs> so, um, anyway, we had, we had this conversation and she was like, that's exactly it. I need to make this manager look like a queen. I need to get the manager to feel like if she takes this decision on, she is going to be the best person in the whole company. Yeah. She's going to get all the credit, et cetera, et cetera. So I love what you said there, because I think as you get more into these B2B consulting deals, training, especially over the last, like, uh, you know, two years, we've worked much more with consulting, like typically like consulting and, and training companies. And it's just interesting because we've seen this too, like in the B2B side of things, one of the biggest objections that you do tend to get isn't like it would be in B2C where it's like, oh, I need to speak to my partner. I need to speak to my fiance, my mum, whatever. It's literally like the team that are going to be implementing it. And so thinking about that team and how you can ensure that they're going to look like the good guys uh, goes back to what you were saying earlier about the intrinsic motivation, right? It all ties together, not just in getting your team to perform, but also it helps in the sales process when yeah. you can get into people's heads as to what, what really, really makes them tick. But um, I want to go back to one thing. One thing to that really yeah, quick. Yeah. in terms of cutting sales cycle time down. So we always talk about, you know, we, I always put four metrics up in these B2B sales discussions when I kind of do coaching and I yeah. talk about, you know, sales cycle time as one of them, right? And it's like any anybody who's selling, right? You want to compress that cycle time. You don't want to be waiting weeks, months, right? Whatever it is. So even in these larger deals, I think one of the ways to do it that, you know, we've coached people. So if you understand kind of the decision-making process, right? Typically, you know, there's there's going to be a set of people and that 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 are involved in the decision right of kind of providing approval etc but those also vary by the size of the deal right so mm. if you can also understand the size of the thresholds and where people make decisions and what approvals are required every organization has that right if i'm buying a let's say less than ten thousand dollar po purchase order I might just need to fill out a form and say, hey, can you sign it from a manager? So we had a client who I used him as a case study, right? He did an amazing job. He created, even though he was selling multi-million dollar deals, he started by creating, he said, I only thing I offer to you as a new client is a 10K workshop, that's it, okay? And it wasn't because he wasn't trying, trying to convert to million dollar deals. He knew that was the quickest entry point. They could charge it on a credit card without getting any approvals. And, right. and then he would be inside the organization, learning about them, engaging with some of the people that they had to influence later on to sell the million dollar deal, right? So he was directly in there as opposed to from the outside, trying for months to have these meetings and conversations. Now he's inside the organization, right? And mm -hmm. at least for that 10K workshop and he's starting to get to know, right? And so I can't tell you how many things he took like that. He was sold out of 10K because he didn't have that much capacity, his team. Mm -hmm. and, and then they converted so many of them, right? So just the bottom line there, what I'm saying is, you know, understand the decision-making process, understand the thresholds and see how you can get in because too many people wait in our experience when we're coaching them. Too many people wait for that, hey, that multi-million dollar thing, that six months, eight months, nine months. We're like, would you rather be sitting on the outside begging people for meetings or do you want to be on the inside and learning about your client, engaging them, and then you're more likely to make that deal happen? Yeah, I can't tell you how powerful this is. I've had a similar experience myself where 
let's say someone's objecting and they're like, oh, well, exactly as you say, like the maximum that I can do is this amount, letting them put that down and then getting them to pay the rest off as they make that back as well through working with you is something if you're B2B yeah. that can also be tied into the deal. Um, and so I was going to ask you because your team had so much experience in selling these like, you know, ultra high ticket deals, right? And then going from that to selling the sort of lower ticket was something which when we were working together, I know you and Noor had worked on that quite closely, uh, building on a sales team who were actually able to close like, yeah, kind of in like the 10K range, you then increase your price to 90K. Um, so what what are the skills required to sell the ultra high ticket versus the, you know, 10K to 90K type of price range? Like what's the differences that you look for in salespeople when it comes to those different levels of uh, deal size? Yeah, you know, it's just so different. <laughs> I, 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 I am a good case study on that, right? I, I always say it's much easier for me to sell a multi-million dollar deal than to figure out how to sell a, you know, a hundred thousand, ninety K deal, right? Or a 10,000. It's so much easier. Uh, just because I know how to engage a client in that discussion and that relationship with that multi-million dollar contract and what value. I don't know how to do that, but we've learned over time. Let's say and and you know working with you that was great because I think we came in and I remember that first conversation I had with you was about that and um, and you were running kind of one of your larger sessions and I asked that question that that was the very first time we talked you probably don't remember um, yeah I remember I remember yeah. and I remember being in Dubai and like talking to yeah. you in the t yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think the skill sets I think what we you know it was great working with you guys because you know you have that very systematic process. And one of the things, you know, I, I valued, you know, um, about your team, while you were working with a lot of B2C type clients too, right? You were also- We were then, uh, actually, nowadays, not really. Yeah, no, since no, then. Now you, yeah, since then, but, but, you know, you're working with a lot of B2B clients also now. Yeah. But, but I think I saw the translation of what we're doing and how we can apply a lot of the frameworks that you put in place. So I remember just seeing, you know, when I came to your first session, the really the methodology that you put together at the MPEC school is really powerful. And I know you've advanced that since that first time I saw it, right? You've, you've matured it in so much and you've kind of, you keep like building and building on top of it, right? And improving it. But I think that was for us, like one, understanding the systematic process of how do you sell smaller deals was really important because we didn't know mm -hmm. that right yeah. how do you create that funnel for that mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and so that was one thing second in terms of skills it is definitely you know different i think you need more lead generation and marketing skills right you need higher volume coming into right. your funnel right so yeah. when you're selling multi-million dollar deals your number of deals like at the top of the funnel is much smaller but if you're selling higher volume business right then all of a sudden your lead generation, those skill sets become much more important, right? Yeah. And you know this, right? And so yeah, yeah, yeah. skill set, we, we found that we were lacking. So we worked on that. That was one thing, right? And, and then, you know, how do you take then content? That was the other thing we saw. You know, you take certain types of content takes people from, you know, this top of the funnel down further. And like, and we had to think about content skills and, you know, how do you, get get something down to where now when you're handing somebody over to a sales team it's it's qualified right and and so i think i think we weren't 
I think that's where we struggled a little bit, to be honest, but then yeah. kind of working with you and kind of through experience, we, we got there. So I don't yeah. know if that makes sense or if that's what you've seen. I mean, you have a lot more experience than I do on those. So, well, I'm just interested in the difference in, in skills that required on a sales team, right? Because for me, as you said, like, I love the systematization, but also the personal touch and the personal intimacy within the system for us is very, very effective. And I do believe it's, it's uh, very powerful for up to those 100K packages. Um, something that we have toyed with over the last year and that we're going to be working towards, as you kind of alluded to, is once clients have started working with us, partnering with them and doing like a growth revenue share type of deal. That's something that we've tested a few times now, and that works really, really well for us. Um, and it's going to allow us to expand our impact and have vested interest in different companies. And it got me thinking, you know, imagine if people who are in this training space, this consulting space, knew actually how to close these multi, multi-million dollar deals on top of what they're already doing. Cause let's say you have 200 clients, right? One or two of those could most likely be, like I can even think of our clients that we have right now. Definitely at least 10 of them could be multi, multi, multi-million dollar, many year agreements that I would also love to get into because these founders, CEOs are awesome people. So. The shift when it comes to the type of sales, how is the deal typically structured? Like, are you normally doing like, okay, you're going to pay me 10 million in one go, or is it like they pay you a few hundred grand per quarter? Like, how does that actually work? I'm super interested now. Yeah, it it really does depend on the type of agreement, because when you get into those agreements, their H1 is highly customized, right? Got it. So it's quite different than what we do with like the impact offer, right? So ours is always the same and standardized. Like, for example, I Pascal right now, we literally have one offer on the front end six months and then one year on the back end of that. Like that's all that we're selling right now. So that's really interesting. So everything for you then is totally customized. Well, no, it's so, so I think, I think like, like, let's take the example of workshops. So we've developed now in at public spend firm, we've developed certain products that are more standardized, right. Sure. And including in working with you all. Right. So, so those are standardized. We call lower ticket. Right. And those are entry <laughs> low points. ticket 90 K. <laughs> so, so, so getting in the door and, and getting clients to sign up on that. And those have to be standardized to some degree. <laughs> Right. Like, like you can't customize, you know, the ROI wouldn't be there if you had to custom sell every single thing, every time right. you have to write a custom proposal, all of that, right. It's just all that cost adds up. Right. And then also the delivery, right. Every time if you have to, you have to standardize the delivery too. Right. Because if you had to customize the delivery every time on a hundred K deal, even on a hundred K deal, I can tell you, you'll lose money. Right. And, and so you do have to have standardized, but when you get into larger deals, then it becomes, you know, th- there's more room because you have more margin that you can put towards customization, et cetera, right? So that's one, the economics are very different on larger deals. Second right. thing is, you know, no client is going to sign up. I mean, you know, when you do license and data deals, they're usually in, you know, um, the larger ones can be up to a million dollars where you're just doing a data license, for instance, right? Wow. Uh, and, 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 uh, but, but yeah, I think in terms of payment structure, et cetera, it just, you know, there are different ones, right? Uh, there are types of contracts that you set up that are master services. That's what we try to get to with clients where okay. then you can, 
anybody in their organization can basically write an order off of it, right? And they can say, oh, I have this specific need. I want to come to you. There are other ones that go in, say, they're already five years defined and say, year one, we're going to do this and we're going to basically execute the option for year two, year three, mm -hmm. year four. So they kind of become like, unless you totally royally F it up, right? They become like ARR, but the ARR is much larger. It's in like millions of dollars, right? You can almost, you know, technically people in like uh, VCs and stuff might not call it ARR, but they look at it a lot of times. I just advised on a private equity deal recently where they were buying, you know, it was a multi-billion dollar purchase and we were advising on it. And this wow. kind of private equity company bought another company. And, and mm -hmm. when we were looking at their contract portfolio, you know, we looked at a lot of the multi-year deals as ARR because sure. essentially what that's what annual recurring revenue is, right? It doesn't matter what right. form or factor it comes in. So I think, I think my advice to, you know, people would be, you know, when you're thinking and working with clients, right? Think about, okay, what you're delivering. But if you are delivering, say, you know, 10K workshops or anything, I guarantee, and I think, Lauren, I've heard you talk about this. They have other needs that are going unfulfilled, right? You finish whatever you're doing, and then there are probably other steps in the process or what they need to do to implement or on an ongoing basis. So start understanding that right away, right? Like if you haven't done that yet, start understanding what those needs are that are, you know, going unfulfilled, right? And maybe then you'll come up with some prototype where you can continue what you're doing. Again, if you think about it from a client value and client impact standpoint, right? What can you do to help that client to go to the next step then, whatever they need? And then once you start prototyping that, you'll come up with different ideas, right? And so you might not know the exact answer of, okay, how do I take this client? do other things to help them. But if you start to kind of really, you know, again, I, I yeah, that's, that's the pr approach I can tell you about, you know, from a client conversation standpoint, what we coach and this whole yeah. ethos, pathos, logos method that we try to teach people on yeah. how to do it. Yeah. And you've been in the game a long time, right? Like some people starting out, let's say you haven't yet had your first, like $2 million a year as an example, right? Focusing is, ultra powerful and going for maybe a, a, a higher volume of this mid ticket. I call it like a mid ticket size offer, right? 10 to 50 K. That's a yeah. really nice price point to get in the yeah. rep, to be able to refine your processes, to be able to serve these bigger deals. Because I think one of the things is, is that Raj, you've been doing this for so long. So you know so much and you have an amazing the team value too. Of being old. Oh, come on. You are not <laughs> old at all. But um, anyway, no, but for real though, like, I think one of the dangers is is trying to do everything all at once. And so what I would say from this from this note is like, okay, once you've got that main thing refined on the back end of that, like maybe test doing it with a few clients like we've been doing, that's been awesome. But also Raj, you're working with like public companies or companies that are gonna go public. And so when it comes to working with these guys, they have a lot of cash to spend as well. I mean, I, I even know a couple of friends who are media buyers or they were media buyers before they started their own agency for companies like Apple. And if they don't allocate all of their money for the, the, the marketing spend, then they get a lower budget next year. So they actually have to spend this money. So That's like, let's say it's yeah. crazy, right? So let's just say someone is they have, let's, let's take the marketing agency example. Okay. Let's say they are a whiz at getting eyeballs and getting leads, right? However they do it, TikTok ads, Facebook ads, whatever. How would someone go about getting their, let's say first big 
big deal, like a million dollars. How would they go about doing that? You know, do they do they join public spend forum? Do they start working with you? Like, how exactly would they go about doing this? And is this something that you're offering right now as well? Yeah, I mean, in terms of if you're talking public sector, what our business public spend forum is, um, we're focused on um, helping public sector agencies as well as any kind of larger companies that are in the public sector find smaller companies, let's say, um, to work with that might be bringing high tech products and innovation uh, like we just, you know, with Amazon, we've been working on clean tech. Uh, a lot of clean tech companies. And so I think I think when we coach a lot of these companies, you know, I, I do a lot of, I don't know if you know that, but I do a lot of sales coaching on, on these accelerators. And I think the, the key thing that we talk about, and I'm happy to share the sales funnel that we've drawn up and how we talk about it. And because yeah. everybody really loves that funnel, but focus is number one that you talked about, right? But, but again, I think converting, you know, if, if you do, I'll take that Chris Carnes example, uh, the company that I was talking about that did the 10K workshops. Mm-hmm. So, so, so really quick example, right? This is a digital services company. They also build products for people, right? Mm-hmm. IT, but really high tech. Um, so they did a 10K workshop. So let's say you have something like that. One of the key things they did is when they went in, you're learning about the client again, you're learning about the needs where well, you have to then kind of be able to translate that if you're looking at that million dollar deal, right? One, they have to have the financial wherewithal, right? Do they have the size and the scope? So you have to look at the client that way. Will they have a million dollar budget or the ability to even do that, right? So you're going to filter that down a lot in, in looking at your client base, right? Um, second is, you know, what needs do they have? Do they, you know, what do they do with the work you do right now? And where do they go next? So if you want to stay focused, not and come up with some random new offering because you say, hey, maybe they'll pay a million dollars for that. You're losing focus and there's an opportunity cost as a business. Your expertise is in certain areas. People value that expertise. So don't lose sight of that because then, you know, I just actually just advise a company that's doing kicking butt. They're raising a hundred million dollars right now around, right? And, but I talked to the CEO the other day, so, you know, he knows everybody from President Obama to, and you name it, right? But I talked to him and I said, I said, we, we met with your team and you guys are doing so much stuff. It's really confusing. And your team was super confused, mm. right? And, and you need to really focus and you need to say, what are your two or three core products? Cause you've got 20 right now, right? And so the value of focus is what's going to help you drive towards that million dollar deal then understand what's the next steps, right? And how can you help? It's, it's more of what I talked about before, help frame that business case. Okay, so what are the things that, you know, so it is a little bit of problem solving. So mm. it does, you know, it's, I, I don't have a, like a cookie cutter answer on this because you have to sit down with the client, you have to understand their needs and say, okay, how can I help them? And it might be a customized deal, but if you do two or three or four of those over time, or let's say it's going yeah. from, 50k to 250k first okay that's how i would think about it right and then maybe you do that for three or four clients this goes back to prototyping then you'll say okay maybe there's a standard need here right Right. i can convert i can turn that into something you know a higher offering for our clients and then so so that's the way 
there's no, I don't have like a cookie cutter answer on this just because I, I don't, I think it, it's, it's more about problem solving with mm. your client and you have mm -hmm. to really sit down with them to understand what's their business objective. What are they trying to achieve? How can right. we help them get there? Right. Yeah. And also ensuring that it's the right company too, right? Because for example, like many people who listen to this are not serving companies that are already doing hundreds of millions, billions decabillions a year, which I know you are, right? Amazon, right? This company is ginormous, so they're gonna have the budget for this type of thing. If you're serving a company that's doing 5 million a year, or even if you're working with exactly. an individual, right? They're not gonna be able to do that. So it also depends on how you apply your skill set. So you mentioned earlier, like how we work with, with B2C. So interestingly enough, most of our clients now that are B2C, unless they're like a celebrity fitness trainer and they have a giant audience on social media or something, like we actually have now started advising those clients to go B2B. So for example, if they are fitness, let's take that example, just cause that's my background as well. Like instead of working with the mum that wants to lose yeah. weight, okay, instead go and work for the female CEO of the company that is doing a minimum of eight figures in ARR, right? Something like that reframe, cause they also have the bigger budget. So that's also another way to think about getting these bigger deals is going after a different type of client. But Raj, real quick, cause I know you no, don't have too much. Sorry, no, go ahead. No, it goes back to, I think the persona of the, you know, the, what are the different personas of clients you have? Yeah. And I think defining that, right? So there might be that persona for that 50K or 10K, mm. right? And then there's a yeah. different persona that you define. So I think that's what you were just doing. 100%. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say in like two steps or less, because I know you don't have much time. If I, this is, this is fun. If I was to want to make a $10 million deal, right? With impact school, what I have right now, what, what should I do? <laughs> wow. Okay. I need to have you in my workshop. I'm going to reverse. Uh, no, um, I, I, I think, I mean, the work you all are doing is pretty amazing. First of all. So I, I could easily see a $10 million deal because I think you laid out a process you know, for really helping them, people think about, it's not just a sales process, the way and how you helped us, right? It was, it was really, what's your product? Just like we uh, really try to help people think about it. And, and then how do you, you know, take that product and, and, and kind of bring the right messaging around it. And then you build a sales process, et cetera. Right. So I think that, that, that what you're doing right there is, easily applicable to companies, right? Any company and that sales process. And there's a lot of detail in that. So I would think about, you know, how do you take that and prototype that process for a larger organization, right? Right. And how could you take that into more of a sales coaching? And, and, and there's so much work out there. Sales teams mm -hmm. struggle at and B2B large companies too, right? And this is right. a common need, right? How do you structure the team? How do you build a process? How do you teach your team to do, um, you know, uh, the right messaging, right? How do you get people to think about the lead generation and social media? You do all of those things. I think they are very highly applicable to, and you're already doing that with B2B clients, but for that $10 million deal, right? So there would be consulting involved in that. So how yeah. can you not just kind of help implement that process, but advise client, right? So then you'd need probably some consulting personnel 
right? Like people that can help do that. So that's, I don't know, that's not a two-step. <laughs> no, it uh, makes sense. And uh, we actually, we have a lot of consultants on our team that work, that work with our clients anyway, because the way I'm seeing the industry shift as a whole is that coaching, consulting, agency is all shifting together as one, right? And so I want to be respectful of your time. What I took from what you said and what I'm actually going to implement myself is once you have that initial offering systematized, right? The impact offer that we talk about at Impact School. And I'll leave a link to a video about that in the description box for this, um, whatever platform you're on. But once you have the impact offer refined, then once you have a team consistently enrolling clients into that and serving those clients, then as the founder, you can kind of shift one layer up. You can speak to your existing clients, yeah. gather feedback from them, find out what more do they need. And also just ask, like I asked one of my clients one time, like what, what value would you place on this? And we were selling something for like, I don't know, 15 K or something. And she told me 250 K and I was like, okay, interesting. And then as well as asking your existing clients, go ahead and maybe start speaking to some bigger companies and see if they need the same thing, validate the offer in the exact same way that you would do when it comes to the lower ticket, Absolutely. aka mid ticket thing. And it's basically just shifting one level up. And uh, once you've got the process, same thing applies for bigger companies. They might just move a little more slow. So Raj, this was a blessing. Thank you so much. No, and, and what you just said is, I think I would just leave it with that is, 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 you know, start having those conversations and, and, and you'll be surprised, right? I think, I think just start with those conversations and you'll see how you can apply kind of for, for anyone, right? Who's listening yeah. um, to kind of order your clients. So thank you so much for having me. And, uh, thank and, you. Uh, I look forward to, you know, part two. <laughs> part two is coming by the time we do part two i'm gonna accountably say that i will have closed my first million dollar deal ah, okay this is yeah yeah All seriously right. seriously we'll I'm, I'm here for it. we'll have to have a champagne toast then <laughs> i will okay i'm i'm here for it raj thank you so much raj Sharma across social media of course i will uh leave all your links below thank you have an amazing day i appreciate you and uh i'm just so grateful that we got to know each other I'm you are awesome. thank you <laughs> Bye, Thank Lauren. you. Bye-bye.